Hey, I'm lead pastor Noel Peepcrass, and welcome to the Exeter Valley Church podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. If you're curious about Jesus, looking for a home in the family of God, or feel called to be a part of a kingdom expansion in Exeter, California, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. in the Veterans Memorial Building at 324 North Cahuilla Avenue. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or find us on social media. Thanks for listening. So as many of you know, as a church, we've been studying the Gospel of Matthew uh, really for the, the last two and a half years as a church. And we've just been mostly trucking along one section of the Gospel of Matthew at a time. And that's really great because we we have a high value for uh, going through Scripture. We love the idea of preaching through a book uh, one section at a time without skipping anything. But one of the downsides of preaching like that is that, um, you know, you can get a really tight view of a really specific type of scripture, a, a specific genre of scripture. So, you know, it's kind of odd that the only genre of scripture we've studied as a church for the last two and a half years is gospel. And so, um, you know, occasionally I think it's good and right to step away from that and and to look at, at some different places. And, 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 and so I wanted to tell a little bit of story about why um, the last month and a half, we've been taking a little bit of a different uh, track. And also, I just want to give the caveat, don't worry, we'll be getting back to the Gospel of Matthew. In fact, uh, February 4th, we'll jump back in and we'll take the story of Jesus all the way down to his crucifixion and eventually his resurrection, which we'll celebrate together on Easter Sunday this year. And so anyway, back to the story time. So when we started this church, and some of you remember, um, when we we first gathered a group and we said, hey, we're going to do this. Who's in? We're going to um, we're going to start a church together here in Exeter, a church that really has a mission and vision for the community of Exeter. And uh, we began by not having services. Actually, we began by hanging out and also, though, just spending a lot of time in prayer. And one of those first times we uh, we called a prayer meeting together in the city park here in Exeter. And, uh, you know, some of you were even there with us uh, that first day. And you may even remember the story I'm going to tell, because that that day in prayer, uh, I felt like I had it like I saw a picture of the iconic Exeter water tower bursting from the bottom and the water just gushing out and flooding the streets. And uh, I really felt like what God was communicating to us in that moment was just his desire to flood the streets of our town uh, with his spirit. And uh, I remember vividly seeing how every street, every home, every business, school was touched by the spirit of God. And so that's been a vision that we've been living into as a family on mission with God. And, uh, you know, um, last year at the same time, right at the beginning of the year, I went away from retreat and I came back from retreat uh, and I preached a sermon out of Acts um, with my with the vision I felt like God had given me uh, for us as a body for the year to come. And, and that vision, many of you will remember, was this idea of us aiming at being like the early ch church, devoted disciples who were devoted to the teachings, to obeying the teachings of Jesus must do missionaries who were just so compelled by the story of God and the impact that God had had uh, on their life through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that they just must 
They just, they just had, they were compelled to do mission. And so we wanted to be devoted disciples. We wanted to be must do missionaries. And I can say after a year, I think we've done well in those categories. I mean, certainly there's still room for growth, but I see people devoting their lives in discipleship to Jesus. I see their lives being transformed by their discipleship to Jesus. We've obviously grown in number. And so it seems as if we're getting something right on the mission front. But one area as we entered the end of 2023 that that I felt like there was just a lot of meat on the bone yet was this this area of being what I called wonder-filled worshipers. And what I meant by that is when you look at the book of Acts, you, you see people who, who are responding to the message, the gospel of Jesus, with a sense of wonder in their heart, like a sense of joy and life. Wonder is fueling their worship, but but you also see people marked by the signs and wonders of the Holy Spirit. And so as we ended 2023 and as we enter 2024, this is the area that I'm really targeting for us in the life of our church. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to start a little three-week series uh, that I'm ta- that I'm calling Unpacking the Gifts, which which is really cute to 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 call a sermon series right after the Christmas season. I get that. I guess that's Preaching 101, come up with a cute series title. But the reason I want to talk about this or where I want to go with this is I want to lead us into the gifts that the Spirit has imparted to uh, the church. And and we find, I think, one of the best uh, spots in Scripture to study this idea is what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. And uh, and so um, one other thing that I wanted to share with you as it relates to this idea, because, you know, I shared this vision at the start of January 2023, and then in May we received uh, a, a, what I believe is a word of prophetic encouragement from a friend who said that he, he really feels like in prayer that Exeter is ready to receive a new way to worship. Now, what he means by that is not that we would be a people who are inventing ways to worship. We're actually going to enter into, we're going to press ourselves into a really ancient way of worshiping. But what he meant was that he he, he just had this sense, and the picture he gave was that uh, there's been a flood here, that there's been rain in this area, but the ground, instead of being soft, tilled, and ready to receive that flood, has actually been uh, clay-covered. And I don't know if you know anything, but uh, one of one of our friends here, Cody Baker, he told me uh, that the uh, the Tulare Lake Basin is actually part of the reason that it's a lake is because that soil is clay, and and uh, the water cannot penetrate through the clay, and so the water stays up at the surface. It doesn't penetrate down into the ground, and so our friend who gave us this prophetic encouragement. Isn't it interesting that a flood had taken place? This was the picture that he was seeing, but the ground was clay. And so the floodwaters weren't seeping down. And he felt like Exeter needed some a, a new way to worship, that there was maybe even like a religious spirit that hovered over our community that would block the spirit from permeating the ground. So here we are, we enter this series on these spiritual gifts and, and what Paul has to say to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14. So here we go, stepping into 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. We'll go to uh, chapter 13 as well today, and then we'll stick in chapter 14 the next two weeks. Now, uh, the first thing we got to know as we enter this study uh, on the book of 1 Corinthians is that uh, you know the, the letter or this book is a letter written from the Apostle Paul to a church 
in the city of Corinth. And one of the things that we know about Corinth at the time of the Apostle Paul is that it was one of the largest cities, if not the largest city, in all of Greece at that time. And Corinth was known for being a cultural center, but it was also known for being or for hosting, uh, being home to the temple of a Greek god called Aphrodite. Now, if you know anything about Greek mythology, Greek gods, Aphrodite was the goddess of love. And so this temple was situated in Corinth around the Greek god of Aphrodite. And so as you can imagine, Corinthian culture, it was known for its sexuality. Now, this was not biblical sexuality. This was Greek god sexuality. It was very perverse. In fact, the, the, the term Corinthian was used by outsiders in that time to refer to this defiled or loose lifestyle. So someone might say like, oh, don't go get yourself a Corinthian girl. You know, those Corinthian girls and how they live, what their morals are like. Anyway, so the church in Corinth, you can imagine, it, the churches in Corinth, these little house churches, they had quite a few problems. And uh, it, it would seem that Paul is in the middle of a bit of a dialogue with this church in Corinth. In fact, um, I won't go too far into it, but there's some evidence in the first chapters of this letter that Paul's um, that Paul's actually um, writing 1 Corinthians in response to a letter that he's received from the churches in Corinth. So this is this this letter seems to be a response. In fact, um, there's some evidence also in in chapter five verse nine that he's already written them one letter. Now we don't have that letter in our Bible, but I want you to get the idea that we're entering into a conversation that Paul is having with the Corinthian churches. So this last fact it provides some important context because um, as you'll see in, in in verse one of chapter twelve, Paul starts by saying. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So clearly, uh, we're stepping into a conversation that has already begun. And, and Paul has addressed, has addressed several other issues, and now he's getting into what it means to have orderly worship. Okay, And this passage is actually a rebuke about the misuse of the gifts of the Spirit. Now, this is, this is important and something that I want you to notice because it would seem as if Paul assumes that the spiritual gifts are already operating. So this isn't, this isn't Paul having a debate or offering an apologetic that these gifts should be operating. They are in operation. Paul is actually writing to rebuke or correct the misuse of these gifts, particularly the misuse of the gifts of tongues that he sees in the Corinthian church. It would seem as if these Corinthians have, have used the gifts, especially the gift of tongues, as a way of gaining personal clout or kind of building their own platform, gaining their own glory, rather than as a way to uh, build up the church. It, it would seem as if there was a culture of one-upmanship that was present in the Corinthian church. Now, if you yourself are thinking this morning, like, hey, don't talk about these spiritual gifts. Could we just skip this? I don't know why you're so fixated on uh, these things, because maybe you've worried about the misuse of these gifts. Uh, maybe you've seen abuses. You've seen the gifts on display for show. You've watched maybe a televangelist get out of control uh, with, with some of these gifts. Maybe you've been in a situation where the gifts were forced or coerced upon people through manipulation or pressure. Maybe you've seen the gifts demonstrated in order to demonstrate spiritual superiority or impressiveness. Well, if that's you this morning, I want to say that I think you've got a friend 
in the Apostle Paul. But notice, Paul doesn't draw the conclusion that though these gifts are being misused, they should therefore be not used. Paul is actually ordering not not no use, but right use of these gifts. And so that's what he's going to go into in the next few chapters of the letter to the first Corinthians. So what is Paul trying to communicate? I've got a lot of ground to cover textually here. And so I want to get right to the main points. And the first point is that the gifts of the spirit are from God and they're for others. What do I mean? Well, in verse four, Paul says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. See, these gifts have a giver. These gifts are not products of the human self. These gifts are given by God. And you should think, I mean, you would think that inherently the idea even of a gift implies a giver, does it not? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, well, with the way I do Christmas shopping, sometimes I open a present and I have to thank myself for that present, right? And maybe we all do that where we buy ourselves uh, Christmas presents. I, I have to confess, I did buy myself one of my own Christmas presents uh, this year. But that's not the type of gifts that Paul's talking about. See, I, the gifts that Paul is talking about have a giver, and the giver is God. So the first thing he says is that these gifts are from God. And then in verse 7, he goes on to say, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. See, these gifts are from God, but they're not for ourselves. They're not to puff ourselves up or to gain clout. These gifts are for the common good. The gifts that God has given his church are for the good of others. Gifts of the Spirit given for the common good. So let's talk just a little about like, what are these gifts? And it's probably important that I would even give a bit of a definition. And so I want to give a bit of a working definition. So when I say the gifts of the Spirit, what I mean is that uh, gifts given uh, a divine impartation, right? So that would be a gift given a divine impartation of ability or talent to be used in the building up of the church. Let me say it again. A divine impartation of ability or talent to be used in the building up of the church. And Paul lists nine of these here in, in verses 8 through 10. He lists the uh, wisdom, knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, discernment or distinguishing between spirits, then the gift of tongues, and finally, the ability to interpret tongues. These are the nine gifts that Paul lists right here. And then in verse 28, there's four others listed. God, he, he gives the gift of apostles, teachers, in addition to the ones already given, and then the gift of helping, the gift of guidance, and then again, tongues. But here's the thing. Even though this is probably not an exhaustive list, we find other gifts uh, like these given elsewhere in scripture, even some additional gifts listed elsewhere in scripture. And who knows the extent of what God might want to give. So the point is not that these are an exhaustive list, but one thing I do want to highlight is that I think that we got to be careful to overly weigh the gifts that seem more supernatural. Gifts like prophecy in tongues come to mind, and Paul's going to say a lot about that. Gifts of healing 
I mean, miraculous powers. These things are pretty flashy and, and in some ways very desirable because they seem more supernatural. But notice what else Paul does here. He includes some gifts that don't seem all that supernatural to us. Have you ever heard somebody teach and thought like, well, that's miraculous. He's really good at teaching. Have you ever uh, received advice from somebody and thought, wow, well, that's really miraculous help that person gave me. How about guidance? Have you ever thought, wow, the counsel that person gave me is miraculous. See, we don't often associate those gifts with the supernatural. But I think one thing that we would need to see is that all gifts, because they're given by God to us, are supernatural, even the ones that don't seem so supernatural. So uh, here's the thing I, I've noticed um, as your pastor. See, many of us, though, don't think that all these gifts are actually supernatural. And, and I think there's something for us because some of us have elevated other gifts. Oftentimes, I hear you talk and you've elevated gifts that you don't possess. The ones that you don't have seem to be the ones that are most desirable, maybe even the most supernatural. But I don't think that that's what Paul's trying to say. So let's read on with verse 12. He goes on to say, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. And we are all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And this is a funny little analogy. He says in verse 15, Now if the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them. God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, even the ones that don't seem supernatural to you, God has placed them, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. See, here's the thing. You aren't a spectator. Every one of us gets to play with the gifts that we've been given. All gifts from God, not for ourselves, but for others. Everyone 
has a gift. So we don't look down on those gifts that seem unimpressive. And we don't overvalue those gifts that seem very impressive because they're all gifts from God to us for others. Has anyone ever considered the old big toe? Now, I I will tell you, I, I majored in kinesiology. I studied all the muscles in the body, but we did not study very long and hard the muscles that impact and move the big toe, right? I could tell you a lot about some of the bigger muscles in the body. I could tell you very little about some of those smaller muscles. But here's the thing. Has anybody ever stubbed their toe or broken their toe? See, as soon as you lose the function of something small and seemingly insignificant like your big toe, you immediately know how important that part of your body is. This is a great illustration to show how all the gifts are vital in the body. How about this? You know, sometimes I've coached a lot of Little League as my boys have grown up. And, uh, you know, you often put your, your worst fielder in right field, right? And you're just hoping the ball doesn't go there. And you could think that, oh, because you're playing right field, you're not important. But you want to know something? You want to know who the most important player on the field is? Whoever the ball's hit to is the most important player. Every position has value and is going to be relied upon. We could go on and on. The sports analogies would fit in every which way, right? What's a quarterback without a receiver? What's an offensive line? Even though you couldn't name the starters on your favorite team's offensive line. If all of a sudden we took those guys off the field and asked the quarterback to perform, we would all know the difference. You get what I'm saying? Every role matters. Even the ones that seem less impressive are gifts from God for the good of others. So these spiritual gifts, all of them, uh, supernatural in appearance or not, they're, they're from God, they're for others, and we've all got them, even if ours seem insignificant or unimpressive. They're all important. And why are they all important? And this is where we get into chapter 13. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is probably the most used passage of scripture at a wedding, but it's not a wedding passage. I don't even think it was intended to be used in that context. See, the the context for 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is why do we have these gifts? See, Paul is trying to use this passage about love to show the first Corinthians that they've gotten things out of whack because they're using their giftedness to prop up themselves. And they're doing it at the sake of their fellow church members. So let's go into first Corinthians chapter 13 and and let's find, and let's look for the idea that love is the motivation for right use of these gifts. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I have nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. See, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. 
Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So the gifts are from God and they're for others and everyone has gifts and everyone, uh, everyone's gift has an important function. It, it is this way so that everyone gets to play with the gifts that God has given us for the good of others. And, and we do all this because our motivation for others is love. And practicing these gifts should be love for one another because these gifts are given for the building up of the church. So now comes to the point in this sermon when I, when I make a suggestion about what we're going to do about everything that we've heard. And let me start that process by asking you a question. Remember back, think back to Matthew chapter three, John the Baptist came on the scene. And what was John, what was it that John the Baptist preached? Did he say, all we need is love? Did he even say, love your neighbor as yourself? He could have said that. No, what did he say? He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. You might think, no, what do you, what do you mean? I mean, I thought this was a sermon on the gifts of the spirit. Why are you talking about repentance? In fact, maybe you, you're even feeling like, well, I don't need to repent. I was listening to a pastor uh, this week and uh, he was teaching about how to preach. And he said that the most common application for any sermon could be repentance. I thought, man, that is so true. And it reminded me of a quote that I've used many times before from Martin Luther, who said that repentance is the whole life of the believer. So what do I mean about repentance? Well, repentance is the act of turning from one direction and not just saying, I'm sorry. It's not just confessing where you've been wrong. It's the actual act of turning the other direction. It's changing course. It's acknowledgement of a way that we've been wrong and it's turning in the other direction. So what, what, what like, might we need to repent of this morning? If you're asking that question, I'm glad you asked that question. Perhaps you need to repent because you put too much value on a particular gift. For the Corinthians, it was a gift of tongues. What would that be for you? If you're unsure of what that might be, I want you to think about where you've disqualified yourself. See, we often see what we value and the things that we disqualify our own selves for. I'm not good at speaking in public. I'm really afraid to be in front of people. I'm not very gifted. Or I have a hard time hearing God's voice. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not very good at speaking prophetically. Therefore, I'm not very gifted. I think sometimes we, we show how we've overvalued certain gifts by, by downplaying our own giftedness. And I want to encourage you, if you're feeling that way this morning, God has given you specific gifts that we need as a body. 
your gifts, however unimpressive they, they seem to you, they're supernatural because they're from God. And guess what? They're not just for you, they're for others, which means that somebody else in our body is depending on you to use your gifts so that the church might be built up. So think about it again. If you've said, oh, I'm not good at this or I'm not good at that. What has God gifted you that the church needs? There may be something that you do well, that you've been gifted in, that we're just waiting for you to express and we don't even know it. I think that'd be a reason to repent this morning for devaluing your own giftedness. Or maybe you need to repent this morning because you've actually done what Paul says in Thessalonians, you've quenched the Holy Spirit. Maybe out of a fear of losing control or letting things get weird. So if you're here this morning and you're kind of thinking like, man, what if things get out of control? Like I, I, I'm like, I got empathy for you. I've had that concern myself. And remember what I said earlier, I think the apostle Paul had that concern as well, right? Because in chapter 14, he's going to lay out the ground rules for how these gifts should be employed. And the keys are intelligibility and order, not chaos, not weirdness for its own sake, right? But you know what else I'd have to say if this is you this morning? If we're holding on to trying to cultivate a faith expression that always has to make sense, we're going to miss out on the supernatural. Like, look, I mean, like I said, like I, I get a little bit uncomfortable with things getting uncomfortable. I'm in that boat with you, but I'm reminded that our whole faith hinges on the human birth of a divine son to a virgin woman conceived by the Holy Spirit. Look, the whole thing is supernatural. What could be more weird than a virgin conceiving a child, the son of God, by the Holy Spirit? Everything that we believe hinges on some facts that are inherently beyond the scope of human reason or logic. I mean, if we're honest, like what we believe is pretty freaking weird. Walking on water, parting the Red Sea, feeding the 5,000, healing the lame, restoring sight to the blind by rubbing mud in a man's eyes. Look, here's the thing. If you want to see, if you want to be a part of a move of God, if you want to see the power of God, things are going to get unexplainable. And as much as I don't want to be uncomfortable, I want to see the power of God move. And I can tell by the nodding of heads that you also want to see the power of God in your life. I mean, look, here's the thing I, I've got, and, and you can probably relate, like I've got plenty of normal and normal doesn't change the brokenness in my life. Normal doesn't change the things around me. Look, I need, and I believe that we need the supernatural God to break through. Let's pray. Lord, we just repent this morning that, uh, I don't know, that sometimes we've like devalued the gifts that you've given us because they don't appear impressive. And we've overvalued things that give us attention or praise. And in that way, we've stolen glory from you, Lord. In that way, we've, uh, we've not contributed to the building up of your church in ways that, that you've gifted us to do. We've thrown little pity parties, maybe. We've, we've chosen to hide, Father. And we also repent for ways that we've quenched your Holy Spirit out of fear or out of a desire to be in control, Lord. We just want to say, Lord, 
We want to see your power on display here, here in our meetings, in our gatherings, in our body, but not just in, we want to see the supernatural things move through us, Lord. We are believing for a flood of your spirit in our community, a flood that would touch and impact every single part of life in Exeter and beyond. Lord, we're contending for a super bloom event, a super bloom of your spirit, Lord, that would bring life and flourishing. These are the things we're pressing into and we repent of anything that would get in the way or reject the good things that you want to do, Lord. And lastly, we just want to say, Lord, we want to say it again that you're good and all your ways are good, Lord. And so we submit ourselves again today. We come, we confess, and we're going to walk out of here repentantly, changing course, changing direction for any way that we've tried to limit you or control you, God. Thank you for your goodness. We love you, Lord. Amen. Hey, hey, it's Pastor Noel again. Just wanted to say thanks so much for joining us here at the Exeter Valley Church Podcast. And don't be afraid to join us in person on a Sunday morning, 9.30 a.m. at the Exeter Memorial Building.